Welcome again to Lakeshore. We are so glad that you're with us today. Smyrna Campus, welcome. We're glad you guys are with us today. Anybody connecting with us online, we're so glad that you found us there. We are in a series called 2020 Vision that we started the first Sunday in January. And uh, we started out this series by clarifying the vision, what the vision is for Lakeshore Christian Church, what we believe God wants us to be as a church, what he wants us to do, uh, how he wants us to live life as Christ followers. And then last week we focused on uh, a part of that vision is connecting people to Christ in each other. So we talked about different ways that we connect people to Christ through our weekend services. And we also talked about how we're focusing now all of our adult ministries through our life groups, the groups that meet during the week at different times and different places. And we do life together. So we're combining the, the weekend Sunday time where we teach and assemble and encourage one another. And then we live it out and learn more and grow more all during the week through our life groups. Today, we're going to focus on growing people to maturity in Christ. Remember, the vision is three words. Let's say them again. The first one is connect. Uh, say it after me. Let's try it one more time. <laughs> Smarter Campus, let's do it after I say it. Okay, here we go. Connect, grow, and serve. There you go. Connect, grow, and serve. And today, we are especially focusing on the grow part of that. There was a husband and wife uh, seeing a marriage counselor. They were having some struggles in their marriage. And the husband says to the marriage counselor, my wife is so immature. And he said, well, can you give me an example of what you're talking about? He said, well, every time I take a bath, she comes in and sinks all my ships. <laughs> It'll take a few of you a few minutes. Here. <laughs> I'll give you time. Uh, Maturity sometimes is in the eye of the beholder. Sometimes we think we're more mature than we really are. But we do know this for sure. God expects followers of Jesus Christ not just to make this decision on the front end that we're going to be connected to him, but he wants us to walk through a process of growing up to be like Jesus. That's what being a disciple is all about. So let, let's start with number one in your outline today, which is the clear command when it comes to growing people to maturity in Christ. Not just to get head knowledge, but to produce obedience. You see that theme over and over and over again in Scripture, that it's not just so we can gain knowledge and quote Scripture, but it's so that we can really mature, we can really grow up as Christ followers. Let's look at the Great Commission again. Matthew 28, beginning with verse 18. Uh, in this Great Commission, oftentimes only the first part of this is really emphasized, but there's really two parts of the Great Commission. Okay, listen to it again. Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Now, that's the part that gets the most emphasis, right? We talked about that already in the series. We should be, as we're going about life, we should be disciple makers. We should be bringing others to follow Jesus like we follow Jesus. We should be discipling them uh, to follow Jesus and discipling them after they start following Jesus. And that leads into the next part. He says, make disciples. Part of making disciples, he says, is baptizing them in the name of of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So part of making them a disciple is baptizing them into Christ. You're not a disciple until you're willing to come under his authority and his teaching and start an obedient life. 
All right, so baptism is that first step of, of obedience, showing that you really do make Jesus the Lord of your life. If you're not willing to be baptized, are you really ready to be a disciple? No, absolutely not. You, you can't be a disciple without coming under his authority and his teachings, which means if he says be baptized, what are you going to do? You're going to be baptized. So, so that's the step of entering into this discipleship relationship with Jesus is through baptism. Then he says that's not the end of it. We don't just try to get him in the water and say job done. No, he says this. And, verse 20, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Now, I like the reassurance that he's with us in all of this process, but, but here's what he says. Teach them to memorize the Bible. Is that what he says? Teach them to be able to argue well on Facebook. Is that what he said? Teach them to be able to tear down opponents with your knowledge. Is that what he says? No. What does he say? Teach them to, what's that word? Obey. Everything I've commanded you. We, we see, seem to be in the American church kind of failing on, on two ends of this. And not all Christians and not all churches are, are doing a terrible job with this. But, but generally speaking, as the church in America, we, we seem to, with the feedback and the research we've been doing, we seem to be failing in two areas. One is... Just the head knowledge part. Uh, there's, there's a lot of people who claim to be Christ followers who have no clue what the teachings of Christ are. Uh, have, have never really studied scripture seriously. They don't make it a regular part or regular practice in their lives. But the other side of that is we also still, even when we're getting the head knowledge, aren't doing such a great job with not just knowing what it says, but actually doing what? Obeying it actually living that way, practicing the teachings of Jesus Christ. You see, to be a disciple of a teacher means you follow after the teacher. His example and his teachings change you so that you live differently because of your connection to that teacher that you are a disciple of. We tend in the American church, and again, I'm not saying individually all of us or even this church, but I'm saying generally speaking in the American church, we tend to be disciples of the world more than we are disciples of Jesus, of the culture, of what everybody else is doing. We tend to follow along with that better than we follow along with the teachings of Jesus Christ. And I'm not saying we, we don't need to adapt to culture. Yes, we do. In some ways, we need to adapt to culture so that we can connect with and influence, have impact on our culture. But adapting to the culture does not mean in any way compromising what we believe or what we practice as followers of Jesus Christ. You don't have to compromise any of that to be able to connect with and influence the culture around you. I mean, Paul said, I'll become all things to all people. He adapted to where he was, right, and who he was with. But he didn't participate in what God called sin or immorality willingly just to get along with people in the culture. He didn't do that. But in the American church, we tend to allow that lifestyle of the culture to influence us instead of the other way around, instead of us being the influence on the culture that God has called us to be. 
And so he's calling us here as Christ followers to make disciples. And then part of our role then as disciples ourselves is to teach those new disciples to obey everything that he's commanded us. Uh, I talked about this as we started the series. The example we have of this is Jesus himself, but also the early church that he established through his disciples. In Acts chapter 2, remember, we read about the beginning of the church in the Bible. It's recorded for us there. We can read a lot about what they did, how they responded, and how they lived out what it meant to be a disciple, a follower of Jesus. And at Acts 2 and verse 42, it's talking about, remember, 3,000 that first Pentecost Sunday, 3,000 were baptized and added to their number. They became disciples, followers of Jesus. Well, well what were those 3,000 doing? What did they commit their lives to? It says in verse 42, they devoted themselves to the, what's the first thing? The apostles' teaching, the fellowship, breaking of bread and prayer. The phrase, the apostles' teaching, now they had the apostles right there in person teaching them, right? So, so they could hear a lot of times directly from those apostles at the very beginning. But then what happened to that teaching? It was recorded in writing and what we now have as Scripture in the New Testament. And so if we as the church today are going to be devoted to the apostles' teaching, it means we're going to be devoted to the teachings of Scripture. Being devoted to something means you give yourself to it. You give yourself not only to it, but you give yourself to the living it out. You don't just devote yourself to learning what it says, but to being obedient to what it calls you to do. That's what being devoted to the apostles' teaching is. It's never just been about head knowledge from the very beginning. It's never been just about memorizing Scripture. Though memorizing Scripture is a good thing, don't ever think of that as a negative thing. It's a good thing. And say, well, that person could quote the Bible, but he sure doesn't live like, like he ought to live. I understand the difference there. I understand where that's not what it ought to be. But the fact that they've memorized Scripture is not a bad thing. Don't think of that as a bad thing. That's a good thing. The difference is, though, we need to not only memorize it for head knowledge, but then apply it to making the changes in our lives that it's teaching us to make. We need to be transformed by it. We need to give ourselves over to it and what it's telling us to do that's being devoted to it James had uh, a very straightforward way of teaching in the in the letter that we have in the New Testament called the, the book of James and in James 1 verse 22 he says this do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves did you catch that there are a whole lot of people listening to the word who are still also doing what deceiving themselves they're thinking that's all they need to do Listen to the word. I can't tell you how many Christians feel like I, I could check off my church life now because I attended a service this week. I went to church Sunday. Check. I've done what I need to do there now. Right? That, that's all they think of when they think of being a church member or a, or a Christian or a follower of Christ is I attended a church service. And, and maybe even they listen, though a lot of you don't. But, but sometimes... Maybe they even really, and some maybe even took notes. Uh, I, I've got, uh, I, we've got a member here that I love to see their post on Facebook after they're here on a Sunday because they take such notes. There's not enough room on the bulletin there for them to take their notes. They fill up the whole page and they go over to the other page and they're writing in the margins and they'll post that on Facebook. And I love that. You know, they're taking notes, which means even more engagement there, right? But even that, 
is not the goal, is it? It's not the ultimate goal. I want you to listen. I want you to take notes. But, but what we're talking about here is being devoted to the teachings. So listen to what he says. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Don't be deceived into thinking that's all you need to do. Here's the next phrase. Do what it says. Wow. Don't just listen to it. Don't even just memorize it. Don't even just make notes where you can answer the questions and get the test. You know, make 100 on the test later. Actually do what it says. Now, there's a lot of reasons for that. Here's, here's what he says. Listen. The, the person who looks at his face is like the person who, if you don't do what it says, he says, if you listen to the word, don't do what it says. It's like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. Now, now you have to understand the image that he's talking about here. What do we use a mirror for primarily? We look at ourselves. And why are we looking at ourselves? Usually when we look in the mirror. So that we can see, is my hair out of place? Or, or for some of you ladies, is the makeup, you know, applied properly? Do I need something else here? Do I, uh, I, I always look up my nose, make sure it's clear channels there. You know, all that stuff, right? <laughs> Especially when I'm going out with HD camera, you know, preaching and everything. You don't want something there, you know, distracting everybody. So, so you do that check, and, and if you see something like that, the benefit of having the mirror is so that you can do what then? You can make correction, right? You can fix it. So he says listening to the Word of God without changing anything is like seeing something hang out of your nose in the mirror, and you just go on and let it stay there. Only it's worse than that because that little thing is not going to be that huge, but not obeying God's Word can have huge consequences in your life so James is trying to get it across to 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 the people he was writing to but then through that writing if we're devoted to the scriptures then we know what that writing says what that teaching is and the teaching is don't just listen to the word don't just learn what it says actually be obedient to what it's teaching you to do and I'm afraid that in the American church in an effort and it's not bad to have this mindset. In an effort to reach more people, sometimes we're in the American church not calling for life change as we present God's word. We're just teaching the head knowledge. And saying it doesn't matter how you live your life, you know, that's your truth, this is my truth. But no, the scripture is God's truth. Now, it's not my opinion, it's not your opinion, it's God's truth. And if it's God's truth and we're, going to supposed to, we're supposed to be following him, we're supposed to then be obedient to his teachings. And if that's what God's truth says, then what he's actually calling for is obedience to what he's saying. That's what he's calling for in his word. And we've got to start making that connection again. It's not just about attending the services and hearing a great message. And a uh, great message, you got that, didn't you? And then uh, and going on with your life like you've been living it. No. It's about being transformed, being changed, making the changes that the teaching calls for in our lives. Now, here's the good thing. When we know, I'm going to talk about this next, but when you know how much God loves you, then you recognize the fact you can connect these two things. The reason he's, telling, the reason he's teaching you the truth about those things and calling for you to change is because that's where the blessings are. That's where the peace is. That's where the joy is found. Not, just, not in the hearing of the word, but in the what? In the doing of the word. 
That's where those things are found. So the next thing on your outline here is I want to spend a moment talking about the obvious value of growing up and maturing by becoming obedient to the teachings of God. There are different ways to grow and mature. Next week we'll talk about serving, and serving is a way to grow up and mature too. But, but in order to be the servant God wants you to be, you need to start with this one, which is the study of God's Word and then the application of His teachings to your life. That's part of the maturing process as Christ followers. Here's what we need to know about the value of letting God's Word grow us up and mature us. This teaching comes directly from God for our good. You have to know God well enough to know God is for you, not against you. When you understand that about God, and then God teaches you to do something that you don't want to do, what do you still know about why God is telling you that? He's what? For you, not against you. And if God is for you, then he's not going to teach you to do something, to live a certain way, to make a certain change, to not do certain things. He's not going to teach you those things except from the place that he's at where he is for you. And he loves you. And now, now how do you know he loves you? Well, Jesus died for you on the cross. What more do you need, right? We just came around this table. We remembered what he did for you. He's for you. So much for you that he has sacrificed for you everything. So when he says, here's how I want you to live life. Here's some things I want you to do. Here's some things I don't want you to do. You have to know where that's coming from. Don't we as parents wish our children got that? from loving parents. I can remember times, especially as a teenager, I just thought my, my mom and dad just don't understand, right? They just don't know what life's really like for a teenager today, right? And, and you know, at 16, I'm so much wiser than they are. And they just got it wrong. Now, sometimes parents do get it wrong. We understand that. But most of the time, they, they've got some things right. And out of love for you, they're trying to give you the benefit of their wisdom. And, and they understand why it's important for you to do this and to stop doing what they're telling you not to do. They understand the long-term consequences of those things. Maybe they've experienced some of them themselves or they've seen others experience negative consequences. They're trying to protect you from that. Well, here's the thing. Our perfect heavenly Father doesn't make any mistakes. He created us to function the way we function. He created the world to function the way it functions. He knows what will bless and what will curse. And he loves you enough to warn you, to correct you, to direct you in the way that brings the best life for you. I see people post all the time, living my best life. <laughs> and, you know, it's usually connected to something like they're on the beach or on a cruise, right, or in the mountain. Living my best life. You know what living your best life is? Walking in the teachings of the one you follow as a disciple of Jesus Christ. That's your best life. Now, that can include being on the beach. I hope so. I love the beach. So I, I've sought it out in Scripture. I believe it's okay. <laughs> but just being able to be on the beach every day is not your best life if you're not walking after Christ. It's not. And we need to instill that in our kids at a very early age because we've been teaching our children their best life is to get the right education, get the right job, and make a lot of money so they can be successful. That's your best life. Instead of teaching them that your best life 
is growing up to be like Jesus because you're following him and what he teaches. It's okay to do the other stuff if you're still following Jesus the way you need to follow Jesus. So the obvious value is that it comes directly from God. Listen to 2 Timothy 3, verses 16 and 17, talking about God's teaching, God's word. It says, all scripture is God-breathed. It's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. You see the value of God's word here? It's useful. It's beneficial for teaching. What do we need to know? God gives us the teaching. Sometimes people say, uh, I just feel like God is being so silent right now, and the whole time their Bible's been closed. Of course God is silent if you're not spending time in his word. That's his word. It's, it's from his breath. That's how God speaks to us. Now, it's not the only way, but that's one of the primary ways God speaks to us is through his word. So if we're not spending time in his word, how are you going to hear from him? You're not. All scriptures God breathe is useful for teaching and rebuking. We don't like that one, do we? That one and correcting. Those two we don't like. Nobody likes to be rebuked or corrected. And it seems like more and more people get more offended by anybody trying to tell them anything is wrong, any correction needs to be made, uh, you're doing anything that you shouldn't be doing, don't ever, you don't have any right to tell me that. And I always say, that's true. I have no right whatsoever to tell you how to live your life, but your creator does. Your creator does. And if scripture is God-breathed, as it claims to be, and I believe there's plenty of evidence to support that, if it is God-breathed, then that means it's from God, your creator, and he has the right to say, here's what needs to happen, here's how you need to live. Now, you have to remember, instead of resenting that, you need to appreciate that because he's telling you that out of love and wanting only what's best for you, okay? So you don't resent that he has the authority to tell you those things. Because you know where it's coming from, where his heart is for you. So it's for rebuking and correcting and training in righteousness. Righteousness gets a bad rap because we attach it with self-righteousness, right? We say that's self-righteous person. We use it in a very negative way in our culture. But righteousness just means this, that which is right with God. That's what righteousness is. That which is right with God. So if we want to know God, what's your will for me in relationships? What's your will for me in marriage? What's your will for me as a parent, as a single adult, as a, as a, a student in school today? What's your will for me? If you want to know what's right according to God, where do you find that? In the Word. Not in public opinion, not by doing a survey. It's in the Word. It comes directly from His mouth, from His breath. You see, a lot of times we're saying we've heard from God when we haven't read His Word. You don't hear from God without it being in line with what his word says. God's not going to contradict himself. If you're looking for somebody to date and somebody that's married wants to date you and you say, I just believe God would understand, you don't understand God. God has already spoken to that. I'm just using that as one example. There's, a, there's a, all kinds of examples of that, right? We convince ourselves that it's okay, even though God's word clearly says it's not. If you want to know what is right with God, you have to listen to what God says about those things. Not what your culture says, not even what your heart says. People say, just follow your heart. The Bible says the heart is exceedingly wicked and easily deceived. 
You can't just follow your heart. Satan loves it when Christ followers just decide to follow their heart because the heart can so be deceived in this world. So we need to let Scripture be the guide. Psalm 119, I mean Psalm 19, beginning with verse 9, it says this. The psalmist writes, The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord, that's Scripture, that's the teaching of God. The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. So here's what he says about God's teaching. They are all right. They are all correct. They are all true. All right? So you don't get to pick and choose which ones are right, which ones are true, which ones are correct. All of them are. And here's what he goes on to say. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, honey from the honeycomb. By them your servant is warned, and in keeping them there is great what? Reward. He wants us to know the motive behind the teaching. It's so that you can be blessed by his teachings. There's great reward that comes with knowing God's word. No, that's not what he says. There's not great reward uh, except here on earth for knowing God's word. How many of you ever got an award for, I memorized the most verses, right, at camp or something? So, you know, we've got people that get nothing wrong with that. It's a good thing. But the great reward doesn't come from memorizing the verses. Where does great reward come from? Obeying what it's teaching. That's where the great reward is. That's where they benefit you. It's when you actually do what it's telling you to do. That's where you get the blessing and the help from the Bible. Um, Now, that's why it's so important for us to understand. If we're really going to get serious about growing to maturity in Christ, I can tell you this. It will never happen just by attending a service on Sundays once in a while. By the way, the average time that most active Christians attend church in America today is right at not quite two times a month on average. Because we got other stuff to do, right? We got ball games and tournaments and uh, concerts and uh, tailgating for the game and all that stuff we have to get to, right? So we'll be there when we can. So on average, maybe two times a month we're attending the church services. But here's the problem. Even if we are attending every single time, just what you get on a Sunday morning, as good as your preacher is, Wherever you go to church, Lakeshore, uh, that's never going to grow you to maturity in Christ if that's where it stops. It will not. I don't care how good the music is and how much you spend time around the table that once a week and, and how consistent you are with that. I don't care how good the, uh, uh, the, the song singing you do is. If that's the limit of it, is that one time a week, you will never, ever grow up and mature as a follower of Jesus Christ. I want you to watch this video. There was a study recently done. Some of you shared this on Facebook. I, I had seen it before, and I really liked the study that they did. And I know studies can be off a little bit, but I think even if this is true at all, generally true, and I believe it is, I want you to see the impact of having a more regular time in the Word makes. Watch this. There was a recent study by the Center for Bible Engagement where they pulled 40,000 uh, p- uh, general population in the U.S. from 8 to 80, and they just wanted to see how we are engaging with Scripture. Right. And they discovered something 
that actually became kind of the profound discovery of the entire study. It, they weren't even looking for this, and this is kind of became the highlight of the study. Right. Um, when we're in the scripture one time a week, and that could be church on Sunday, that's pastor saying you open your Bible, we hear the message, one time a week had negligible effect on some key areas of your life. So I'll, I'm gonna spell that out more here in a moment. Two times a week, negligible effect. Now at three times a week, there was a blip on the map, like there was a heartbeat. Something happened, again, a heartbeat. Okay. But here was the profound discovery. When we're in the scripture four times a week, it literally spikes off the chart. You would expect that it'd be one, two, th I mean, there'd be a gradual incline right. on the effect and impact that would have in your life, but it was literally one, two, three, four, something radically happens. Okay, you got my curiosity. To this what, extent. What kind of behavior is being affected? Feeling lonely drops 30%. Wow. Ang four times a week in the four Bible. Four times a week in the Bible. Okay. Anger issues drop 32%. Uh, bitterness in relationships, marriage, a relationship with your kids, and so on, drops 40%. Alcoholism drops 57%. Feeling spiritually stagnant. You know, if there was one area when I'm talking with people that that they'll be honest about is they just feel spiritually stagnant. Ask them the question, how much time are you spending in the scripture? If they're in the scripture four times a week or more, it drops 60%. Wow. Viewing pornography drops 61%. That's very important. Now, on a flip positive side, sharing your faith wow. jumps 200%. Wow. Because you have a confidence in God's word. And then discipling others jumps 230%. That's, that's amazing right there. I didn't need that study to convince me of that, but I'm glad they did it. I mean, I've seen it in my own life. Here, here's the thing. As a pastor, I am in the Word a lot, but most of the time it's preparing sermons, right? That's different than being in the Word for maturity. Because if all you're trying to do is get the knowledge and organize it into a sermon and you can give the points and you know, find a joke that goes along with it that week, if that's all you're doing... You're not really maturing, growing. It, it, it's when you're in the Word for the purpose of growing, getting closer to God, getting to know Him better, wanting to be more like He wants you to be and how you're living your life. That's the connecting times. And if you can get up to four times a week, and it doesn't have to stop there, obviously if you did it more than four, it gets even stronger. And the difference and the, trans and the transformation of your life that happens and that's why it's so important that we look at Scripture and look at Jesus and look at the early church and say, well, how did they do that? How did they facilitate that in the New Testament so that Christ's followers were growing up to maturity in Christ? So the third thing on your outline today is the effective methods that we see in God's Word. Well, one of the methods was Jesus often taught crowds of people. I mean, when crowds assembled, Jesus would say, Here's a good shot for me to talk to these people. And he would teach them in large crowds. Uh, Mark 10, verse 1, it says this. Jesus then left that place and went into the region of Judea across the Jordan. Again, crowds of people came to him. And as was his what? Custom, he did what? He taught them. So teaching in crowds is not to be dismissed as having no value. There is value to that. 
Jesus recognized the value to that. You can introduce concepts and ideas in crowd settings. Now, you can't do a whole lot of discussion and get a whole lot of feedback. Uh, and, and I'm not going to let you do that because i got to finish the sermon. So uh, here's the thing. That is a value. There is a value to teaching in crowds, right? And that's why it says not to forsake the assembly, coming together. There's value to that. And coming together in a larger group like that. So at Lakeshore, as we move forward, what we've already been doing, we're going to keep doing this. We're going to keep assembling on the first day of the week at all of our campuses. And we're going to teach and we're going to put it out there on video uh, so other people can hear that teaching too. And we've got right now online thousands of people that are listening to the teaching online every week. And we want to keep doing that. Those large crowds, that's value to that. You're introducing some, some of the teaching of Christ that way. But friends, we know that by itself, right, doesn't complete the job. So here's something else we see Jesus doing. Remember who my hero is? Who's my hero? It's Jesus, right? I want to learn from Jesus. How did he do this? Well, he taught large crowds, but he did something else. He also taught his life group and small groups. He taught his life group. He did it by example and by word. He taught his life group. Look at Matthew 11 and verse 1. After Jesus had finished instructing his, what? Twelve disciples. See, that was his life group. After he finished instructing them, he went on from there to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee to the large crowds. You see, he did both. He combined those two things. Why? Because that's how you grow to maturity. The teaching in the crowd by itself won't do it. You have to add another element to it where there's greater opportunity for more personal teaching and correcting and admonishing and instructing. And that happens in smaller groups. And that's why here at Lakeshore, we're going to continue to do the assemblies, but we're also going to encourage everybody to get connected to a life group. We've got people to help you with that. If you give us your information and say you want to be part of a group, we'll try to help you get connected to a group that works for you. doesn't matter which campus you attend. If there's a group that works for you in location and time and all of that, then we'll help you connect with that group. You say, I want an all men's group. We've got those for you. I want all women. We've got those for you. You want more young couples. We've got some of those for you. But I want to encourage you to remember, we also don't need to always separate out by those categories because we learn from each other when we mix that up. Say, I don't want kids in my life group. Well, sometimes that's one of the best things you could do is to be in a group even though you don't have kids with people that have kids. You know why? Because you begin to have more compassion for those parents than you've ever had before, right? It develops that. And you know what? They need the help of somebody who are mature, somebody maybe who's already raised their kids, and you can mentor them and instruct them and help them. Let's stop thinking we need to separate out like that all the time. We don't. You see, we, uh, the, the Bible says, as iron sharpens iron, so we always say men. The scripture doesn't say men. It says, so one person sharpens another. It doesn't mean just men sharpening men. It means people rub off on each other. We encourage each other. We support each other. We train each other. We can learn from each other. That's why that can't happen in the large group, but it can happen in the smaller groups as we assemble together that way. 
So we're going to continue to do the assemblies, but we're also going to encourage people to get connected to a group, a smaller group that meets during the week so that we can all be learning from each other, encouraging each other, building each other up. Remember last week, if you weren't here, you could go back and listen to it. We talked about the one another passages in Scripture. You can't do the one another passages if you're not doing life with one another, which means we've got to get together more than just in a big crowd on Sundays to do life together. But I want to close with this fourth thing, and that is the desired outcome. What does God want from us? What is the desired outcome? I believe, as I look at scriptures, the desired out- outcome is that we acquire a working knowledge of God's will in our lives. We acquire a working knowledge of God's will in our lives. By that, I mean this. We don't just know what it says. We know how to apply it. When we apply it, we see that it works the way God says it was going to work. And our lives are changed. We're blessed by it. That's the process. Look at Romans 12 and verse 2. My life verse is Romans 12, 1 and 2. Verse 2 says this. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. That's what the church has been really good at doing, conforming to the pattern of the world. But he says, don't do that. Instead, here's what he's saying. But be transformed by the renewing of your what? Mind. Why do you think it's so important to renew the mind? Because the mind controls the actions, right? The mind controls how you live your life. So if you're going to be transformed, it's got to be that the mind is transformed. Now, you can make temporary changes without transforming your mind. Just by sheer will, you can start doing something different. But if you don't really believe in it, you're not really convinced of it, you don't really understand the value of it, you won't stick with it. And that's what's happening to people all the time. They're making these temporary changes. The new year is one of the greatest times we make resolutions, right? And, and people that have fitness centers understand that very well. Why do you think you see all the ads and all the specials leading into the new year for you to join the gym? Because they know you're more likely to pay the money and join. They also know that about three months in, you're probably not going to show up. But guess what still comes in? That money still comes in, right? If you sign a contract with them, right? So here's the deal. God knows how we work, too. He designed us. He made us the way we are. So, so we got to be transformed, not just by deciding I'm going to do better now, but by changing our mindset about those things. He says, then when you do that, you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Here's what you need to know about the teaching in God's word. They are good, and when you understand the value of them, they're pleasing. In fact, they're perfect. God's will is perfect for you, and it's perfect for me. It's not that he's only got his will that will work for you and it's good for you. No, his will is also good for you and it's good for you. And it's, good, it's perfect for all of us. God's will is perfect. Where do you find God's will? Where do you get to know God's will? In God's word. That's where you find God's will for you. It's not how you feel about it. It's what God teaches about it. So when we acquire a working knowledge of God's will, then here's what happens. We're able to test and approve what God's will is. People say, I just don't know what to do. I don't know what choice I should make. And a lot of times it's because we haven't put God's will into our mind. We haven't been transformed by the renewing of our minds because we haven't spent enough time in the word of God getting to know what God's will is. Now, I'm not saying it's always going to be just magical. You're always going to know exactly the right thing to do. I'm saying you will know God's will for your life overall when you spend time in God's word. That's where you find out about God's will. So the desired outcome is that we, we're able to have a working knowledge, and then we're able to teach others by example and by knowledge. I love what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 1. Here's what he said. Follow my example 
as I follow the example of Christ. Wow. Wouldn't you like to be able to say that? Your spouse, your children, your grandchildren. You want to know how to live out God's will? Follow my example because I'm walking in God's will. You're not saying you're perfect. That's not what that verse means. Paul wasn't saying he was perfect. He, he confessed himself to be a sinner over and over again. But he's saying, I am, I'm always coming back to coming under what God teaches, what God says is right and wrong, and I'm conforming to that. So you, if you follow after me, you're not really just following me. Who are you really following? Christ. The teachings of Christ. See, that's the goal. That's the goal he wants for all of us, that we could actually say to somebody, if you follow me, in reality, you're going to be following Jesus. That's the goal. 2 Timothy 2 and verse 2, Paul says this to Timothy. And the things you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. So here's the deal. It's not supposed to stop with us being the example. What are we supposed to do then? Go and make what? Disciples who make disciples who make disciples. So what we have to do is take, as we're learning and growing, we need to be pouring into some other people so they are learning and they are growing and they are maturing because of our influence on their lives. And then what can they start doing then? Teaching some others, making disciples too. You see how it's supposed to just never end. It's supposed to just multiply from person to person to person. You say, I just don't think I can do that. I don't have enough knowledge of God's word to do that. I feel inadequate in my knowledge of the Bible. Well, then where do you start? In the scripture, learning the scripture. You commit to assembling on the weekends with people that are learning God's word. And you commit to getting into it in a life group with others where you're teaching and learning from each other. And you understand that statistic that said if you do it at least four times a week, that's when it makes the big bump, right? So you don't just wait on the life group that week for your time in the Bible. What are you doing all the time, every day? You're spending some time in the Word. We like to recommend ways for you to do that. There are a lot of good ways. We use the YouVersion Bible app a lot around here. We love it. It's got Bible reading plans that you can subscribe to. It's got a verse of the day every day it'll send out for you. Uh, some of you follow me on Facebook. You see that I post a verse every day. That comes from the YouVersion Bible app there. And, but I'm not just posting a verse. I have a Bible reading plan that I'm following uh, that they have. And you can pick different ones depending on what your interest is and what your level is of maturity in Christ already. You could start with some simple ones and grow into other ones. But you start where you are, spending time in the Word, and it transforms your mind. The ultimate goal here is this. We want to be equipped to do the good work God has called us to do. We want to be able to be, build up the body of Christ. We want to be able to help with unity in the body of Christ until we all become mature. Listen to Ephesians 4. This is a good summary of what God wants us to be doing to grow up to be like Jesus. Here's what he says. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service. We'll talk more about that next week. So that the body of Christ may be what? Built up until we all reach what? Unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become, what's that word? Mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. He says, then we'll no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves, blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. In other words, you won't be deceived by lies anymore when you know the truth well enough. He goes on to say this. 
He says, instead, speaking the truth in love, and that's the key. If we're going to disciple others, what's the motive got to be behind it? It's got to be love. All right, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. I want to close with this, friends. If we say we love Jesus, if we say we want to follow Jesus, then we can't look at our face in the mirror and walk away and forget what we've seen. We've got to spend time letting him reveal in our lives the changes and the corrections that need to be made, understanding the value of that. In 1 John 5 and verse 3, it says this about loving God. In fact, this is love for God to keep his commands but not just that listen to the rest of it because y'all want you to stop there so people say okay i'll begrudgingly do what he says to do right that's not what he's saying here he's saying this is love for god to keep his commands and his commands are not what burdensome you understand the value of keeping his commands you love and treasure his commands and how they bless your life And it all begins with that first step. What's the first part? Connecting. Connecting to Christ and each other. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you. We thank you that you have called us to connect with Christ and then through him to be connected to others who are connected to Christ. But you want us not just to get connected. You want us to grow up into the image of Christ. I pray that if there's anybody here uh, at either of our campuses, there's anybody listening online who needs to get that connection part done that they could take that step today and start that process because you can't grow without being connected to the source of life that allows you to grow so father as we have this time when we invite people to come and take those steps of decision that they need to make i pray that your spirit will work through your word and they would be convicted and prompted to take those steps that need to be taken But Father, help us all to realize that this growth process never stops. We need to keep growing until we see Jesus face to face. And we are transformed completely then into his image. That's our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.